0: Welcome to API's You Won't Hate podcast, we're recording this today, July 23rd, still in the middle of an awesome pandemic. Um, Phil, Mike, how's it going?
1: Hey, what's up, Matt? How are you?
0: I am living my best quarantine life. How about you? Yes,
1: still alive, still alive. Uh, Every day feels the same, but I'm trying to stay positive and help people where I can, you know? And
0: Phil, you almost got killed again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, which time? Um, today on the way rushing for the podcast, I was running a little bit late and I decided to jump on my girlfriend's uh, single speed um, Dutch bike. It's like a, one of those pedal pedal brakes, which I hate. Um, and uh, going way too fast, nearly crashed into a few people, a few people nearly crashed into me, nearly dented a rather nice silver Lamborghini that shouldn't have been on that narrow road. Um, mostly because I, I forget how brakes work. You know, pedal brakes are hard. But uh, made it here, and I'm excited to talk to you guys. Full of adrenaline. Yeah, it's been a bit since <laughs> yeah, the three of have been on together.
0: All over the place with like your... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Meanwhile, Mike and I are still like, it's just like 8 a.m. here. We're still waking up. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we have two uh, really fun topics we want to get to. Uh, first is that we want to talk about uh, Stoplight and what all is going on there. They've uh, been pushing out some great updates with um, Studio, um, as well as Spectral Prism, things like that. And I think there's some cool, fun things in the, the workshop. Um, I finally got to play with Sublight Studio. Uh, we had a meeting with Phil, what, two weeks ago, but it felt like three months ago, yeah. something
2: like that. <laughs> um, Time doesn't exist anymore.
0: No, it doesn't, but I, I mean, Studio has just made our jobs so much easier, spanning um, three different countries full of teams. So what what all is new going on there?
2: So some of the new stuff I think I mentioned on podcasts before that um, there's kind of, there's there's been a few different generations of stoplight. There was uh, stoplight classic and then stoplight next, um, which is awkwardly the last version. Um, And now we've kind of got this new, new um, ecosystem out and we've been talking about the editor, which is studio. And there's these few kind of floaty tools that we integrate with studio, Spectral and Prism. Um, But there's also this other concept uh, which we call platform, which is, Uh, more of a like a a software as a service Um, and it it's only been available for enterprise users so far so it gives you all these really cool features like uh, a design library where you can create models and share them across different projects Um, so people aren't kind of recreating users and companies and flights and all these like common models that you might want to use in your company in different places Um, and a few other kind of features like that and so for the longest time they've been kind of um, hidden on the enterprise license and if you want to pay you know a whole bunch of money you can get that but for the average user um who is used to kind of paying more like 10 15 20 bucks for for various different bits of you know software as a service there's been kind of a gap so you've had lots of stuff for free in studio and there's been free documentation and free everything else and we actually used to get people asking us all the time like Where's the pricing page? I'm like, it's just free. (laughs) We're not hiding the uh, pricing page. It literally is just free. Um, But we've now released a bunch of new functionality with stoplight platforms. So you can go to go to stoplight and click on getting started at the top. You can um, select your own workspace, which makes things a bit nicer. You can, you know, all of your projects, which are usually Git repos, You can put all of your um, all of your projects together in this one workspace. And that could be for your team or for your entire company or whatever. And you also get the, uh, so you get the design library and you also get the Explorer, which is pretty helpful. Um, Problem I had at WeWork was, you know, there's 50 different APIs going on. And even when people started to write open API docs for them, some would document them on readme.io and some would put docs on stoplight and some would put docs somewhere else. And um, it gets kind of hard to find where everything is, but. With the Explorer, you can have multiple APIs, multiple projects in there and you can search for stuff so you can search by like description or or API name or like the description field for a single property and and models and and all that stuff will show up in the Explorer. So it it gives you a lot of visibility into what people are are building um, in various different parts of the company. So, um, yeah, we've released a whole bunch of that stuff now. Pretty excited about it. It's been a long time coming.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I haven't had a chance to poke around with much of that, Phil, but I, I feel like I've had um, a, a roughly a million opportunities over the past month or so to recommend people check out Stoplight. Um, I, I feel like so so. contrary to you, I live much more on the front end side of the world. Um, and that's sort of where I tend to hover and, and harass people on Twitter and whatnot. Um, but I've seen a lot of people talking about... Um, like creating stub APIs and consuming APIs, and actually one of the things that's come up a few times over the past couple of weeks is is JSON schema and how to consume it. Uh, and as you and I have seen before, there's a lot of confusion about what that is and what it means. Um, I, I was going through and explaining to someone that it wasn't a, a JSON schema; wasn't a schema of a database, uh, you know, and oh, that like yeah. it's, it's, it's there's a lot of confusing nomenclature out there. But I think your the the tools at Stoplight uh, build. Um, really need to get into the hands of these front end guys who benefit would benefit from them tremendously. Um, and it's cool to see a lot of the information going out lately. So I've become one of your, your biggest cheerleaders in terms of like just trying (laughs) to get people to to test it out and being able to say like, Hey, go check out the pricing page. It is as good as it sounds (laughs) (laughs) right now that we actually have one now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. The mocking thing is definitely something I, I want, more people to kind of get into. Um, I feel like there's this, or we might have talked about this on the podcast before, like interrupt me if we have, but I feel like there's this kind of awkward waterfall model that, that um, where the kind of front end developers end up being thought of last. And so, um, you know, a bunch of requirements come in for we need an API that can do this um, and, and whoever thought of that idea in the first place could have come from, you know, front ends with requirement, could have come from other back end teams just deciding they wanted to make a new API that, you know, because monoliths are bad or whatever. But an API for some reason is being created and people just go and write a whole bunch of code and then maybe once a prototype is available, they'll make that available to the consumers for a bit of feedback. But that's usually after a month's worth of coding has been done. Um, or people waste time like creating these mocks themselves, but it's usually the back end people making those mocks. And yeah, so I've seen this yeah. kind of—you've right, you, experienced that where people like create controllers with static arrays in there so that they can return yeah. this kind of static JSON, and that will just right. a lot of cocking. Well, about that, really. that's
1: exactly what I'm seeing. Is it's the front end guys who are like saying, "I know I'm going to get something that looks like an address or whatever a flight yeah. information," like you said before, and they'll go in and waste a ton of time trying to figure out how to mock that up. And right. these are exactly the last people that should be doing it because that's like squarely a, a, away from where their expertise is. Their time is better spent <laughs> right. doing designy, front endy goodness. And instead they're writing test cases against APIs that don't yet exist that are like, oh no, you can really just go and click and drag this stuff <laughs> in this interface yeah, and yeah. it'll do that for you. And yeah, he, I've seen that too. I mean,
0: mocking the object doesn't look anything like they thought it was going to be once. Really. Yes,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. I mean. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the backend teams doing that because you know a lot of the backend teams are like the the gatekeepers of all API things. They're like, here you go, I have blessed you with this JSON array, do with it as you will. And they kind of don't really get that much feedback. And, and a violent reaction to that I feel like has been the front end people saying, I am working on this application. I am going to create a mock my own self. I've seen, I think yeah. it's called Mockit is one popular one. It looks really good. This mm-hmm. isn't an invalid use case, but I've seen a lot of front end teams that will go and create a bunch of mocks themselves using Mockit or JSON server or literally just creating random JSON files and saving them. And they'll say like, this is what I want. This is what my application needs. Please, can you make that into a backend? Or they'll go and make their own BFF and, and that will act as a gateway between them. Um, And that, again, is a lot of work being involved, and potentially the front-end team aren't the best ones to be doing that because one front-end team might have one set of requirements and and create an API that suits their needs perfectly, but another team might have slightly different requirements. And while it's not always possible to make an API that works perfectly for every single client, you often can make something, an approximation that works pretty well for, for two of them instead of making two totally separate things. So. Um, I I feel like a lot of the time front-end driven mocking has been done because the back-end teams don't listen enough and creates a lot of churn because you know different teams say I want this and then I want this and they're like wow you can have that and you kind of just have these different mocks replacing each other all the time and it's a bit silly but if you have this kind of design first approach where you're you're all involved. The backend people can do it, the frontend people can do it. You can have conversations around these simple API designs by clicking a few buttons and you get YAML as a result that you can take anywhere and put in any mock system you want. Um, then you can, you're, you're wasting a lot less time and you're able to have a conversation around a much more realistic thing. And once it's actually in Git, if someone changes it, then you know they did because it, it's on Git blame. <laughs> Barry, why did you change that field? I needed that field. Why did you sneak that in there? Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the things I'm excited about people getting to use more and yeah. hosted hosted mocking is now a thing we before you had to like download studio in order to run a local mock or use the CLI But now we've got hosted mocking up there that kind of solves that for a lot of people you can just give the yeah. URL and they can just play around with it so.
1: Right, and I think the important message there is that that can be shared easily, you know, the the Um, From a practical standpoint the the cost where this gets expensive when even when the front-end guys are figuring out how to write Their own mocks and doing it successfully The expensive part is when the two meet in the middle and suddenly you have a real back-end and a front-end that may or may not Have a great understanding of that and then there's like turn expensive turn where you have to rewrite parts of whatever to connect those two (laughs) things together Right, Uh, that's that's real dollars getting spent and even if your front-end guys are for some reason getting better at mocking API's uh, it's it's not good. Um, and the, the when I used to do consulting more, when I used to do consulting at all, uh, the quote we always used to bandy about was one from Frank Lloyd Wright, where uh, he says something along the lines of your, the architect's most effective tools are the eraser in the drafting room and the wrecking bar at the job site. And it's kind of like, yeah, once you've <laughs> built the thing, you've got to take a sledgehammer to it, and that costs real money to tear down walls and rebuild. But in, in advance if you're able to start with a good drawing or a good understanding of what you're doing like you're actually saving money by doing More design work up front uh, and yeah, whether yeah. that's design of the API or the interface itself. It helps to collaborate uh, And that's mm-hmm. what stoplight is enabling
2: Right, and there's one other thing I want to shout about um, with with studio because that's a lot of the platform changes, right? if you're using the SaaS, you've already got access to this if you're using the the um, if you're using the kind of on-premise, you, you host it yourself, you'll get that in version 2, which should be out by the time this recording is aired. Um, but for studio desktop users, we've made things a little bit easier. Uh, now, to publish documentation, you don't have to click the publish button, which I always personally found to be a tad annoying because in the... In the we talked about this before in the kind of the di- design review process. Um, I'll get to that in a sec when somebody made a change, maybe they didn't have access to uh meh, probably edit this bit out. <laughs> the publish button, I always found really annoying, because if somebody sent a pull request and made a bunch of changes, and, and then it was merged, you would then you know, you you'd do that all in GitHub. And then you'd have to go over to Studio web or Studio desktop, pull those changes from master and then click publish. Um, you could set up a continuous integration. Uh, we'd give you this one command that you can run on, on CI and it would use the stoplight CLI to, to publish. But that's kind of an advanced move for some people. So uh the, the new approach, when you set up a platform, if you're using the SAS version, we have a bunch of integrations for um GitHub and uh, I think there's GitLab and Bitbucket and you know you can do the enterprise versions and everything else. If you're paying a certain amount, you can you can like set up your own configuration, so you can use your own credentials. So we don't ever really read any of your your code, um, but by default you can use the the built in GitHub stuff. And um, when you auth- authenticate the application with Stoplight, we can uh, you can then start adding projects with like one click here and there. And you have the choice of uh, adding webhooks, which means we get a little ping back from github every single time a new branch is created or um you know a new push has has happened or whatever commits are merged, and that means that we can automatically publish documentation um and i was i was surprised at how quick it was I, i thought you know that's a pretty cool bit of functionality you click merge and then within like five seconds most of the time your new documentation is completely up to date so that's real handy um and a feature that we merged shortly afterwards was um uh branch management or like being able to track multiple branches so once you've got that webhook stuff set up you can you know your default branch if that's main or um, something else um, you know that will publish but again if you pay a little bit extra money you can set up uh, a main and a develop branch or if you're doing branch based, uh, based versioning for your API, you might have like a V3 and a V4 branch and you maintain those two separately. And you can you can track both of those and you get a little drop down on the documentation screen being like, do you wanna look at V3 or V4? Um, and that stuff is really handy. I, I I don't know of too many others that kind of support that that flexibility of being able to show off kind of the stable version and then like the develop version or the nightly build so you can share those separately, you know?
1: Yeah, I've certainly encountered the mess that it can create when that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> right. I
0: mean, that, that sounds really useful, too. Like, I ran into a problem with trying to manage branches and stoplights. So this whole stuff sounds really great coming the Pipeline.
2: Yeah, I mean, we had some problems before with Publish, where, like, you click Publish, and wherever you are, that is now the case. So, like, if you're using some random branch, like some feature branch, and you click Publish, great. You've just obliterated you know, master, and now you, you have lies. So <laughs> it was nice and convenient to have that publish button right there. It worked really well when like you were the developer um, or you were the, you know, you were the team. Um, but as soon as you start getting into API design reviews, like we were chatting about in that other um, episode with Arno, um, that that stuff can get a bit annoying. So now what's nice is you can even have unpublished branches. So the analyzer will run on any branch uh, via webhooks, not just the ones that you set up to be tracked. So you can actually select an unpublished branch. So if you're working on a feature branch and you're adding a new endpoint or adding some new functionality, you can make a pull request and then add that kind of preview URL. I really wanna just have that automatically happen, like uh, Netlify, right? Where you just like make a pull request and it goes boom, check it out that's coming, but um, you can copy and paste that in uh, manually and then um, people can kind of look around the actual documentation instead of looking around like YAML in a pull request. Um, so that that's really handy as well. I'm, I'm really excited about Platform just because it gives us this great framework that we can start baking stuff in. Um, like having uh, spectral rule sets automatically applied to the entire workspace, you create a custom one and then just enforce it across your entire workspace. And people that don't even know about what those rules are just like oh shit I better rename this to make it whatever camel case or I better stop using HTTP basic right now because my computer told me to So that's gonna get real fun <laughs> Listen to the robots. They're smarter than you Exactly Train the robots. Well, yeah
1: your work. You so make- hey, are there, are there any other uh, upcoming features or things that you're excited about uh, that are that are coming around the
2: pike? Ah, the shared style guides thing is cool. Um, I'm really looking forward to, so Studio Desktop 2 doesn't have a lot of this workspace knowledge in it yet. Um, Studio 2 is just about to come out and I'm really looking forward to hooking Studio Desktop up to your workspace so that you can, you know, open projects from your workspace and get that shared rule set and all that other stuff. Um, But yeah, I actually forgot what some of the upcoming things are. Wait for it. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, so creating pull requests from from Studio is something I'm looking forward to. Um- after having that conversation about API design reviews, I wrote the documentation for how to do design reviews in, um, in Stoplight and in, in version one, like the old SAS and, and version one of desktop, it was like an eight step process. <laughs> it was like, do this and then create a branch and then publish it and then go and find it and then do this thing and do this thing. And now it's down to like six steps and having that automatically posting a URL would make it down to five steps. But one of the steps is still like, you've just published, you've just pushed this branch. Um, now, how do you create a pull request? You have to you know remember whether it's in github or Bitbucket. it could be in any of them and then go and find it and then click the button and do all that so i'm really looking forward to having when you click push it's like cool now do you want to make a pull request and you never have to leave the studio experience um, and then theoretically people that don't have uh github access because some of these people can just be generic users just signed up by email or signed in with ldap or saml Um, theoretically you could have uh, like pull requests created by the application that you've authenticated as instead of being done by me it's being done by technical writer Sarah who doesn't have a github account Um, and that solves that problem and and then after that of course um, kind of API design reviews where you can talk about the stuff instead of having to go and view that that pull request and look for that little github link you can just kind of look in platform and like discuss it right in there so that stuff, that stuff I think would be pretty fun. But yeah, yeah, there's loads of stuff on the roadmap. If you go to roadmap.stoplight.io, we're trying to focus what we work on based on feedback from people. And so it could just be whatever I want, whatever Mark, the CEO, wants, right? It could just be whatever the team want. But it'd be much more interesting if people went and like, commented and, and voted on things they wanted. Because um, so then where, we can build where, the best where, thing for everyone. It's
0: nice for people to do that
2: uh roadmap.stoplight.io. i'll put a link in the footnotes but yep. so you
0: know, if you have cool. features like i was thinking you know a really cool kind of fun almost like a microsite would be like random custom open api rule sets that we've come across in the wild Yeah. give people like an idea of like what are some like you have like your basic rules and then here's like rules that other teams have mm. used that may or may not be a good idea i think that'd be kind of an interesting yes kind of, Weekend. I really want
2: to work on that. I've started putting some together. I've got an organization called, uh, on GitHub, uh, again, link in the show notes, but if you go on GitHub slash uh, openAPI-contrib, there's a repo called style guides where I started to put together some different kind of different style guides for different things. There's the API's you won't hate style guide, which is just going to be um, like, you don't even need to read the book. Just do what the, do what the robots tell you and you'll have a good API. Um, <laughs> kind of putting myself out of, out of money there, but um, that will give you a lot of opinionated rules about how to build a good API. And then there's other rule sets for like fire, you know, F I H R which is the something or other healthcare system and that has a bunch of rules like this is you know this is non-compliant with that standard and so i want to create a whole bunch of them and and make like a marketplace they don't all need to be in this repo but seeing as they can be shared by npm modules they could be anywhere but i'm just going to start off with a whole bunch in in that repo um to get people kind of thinking about different different rule sets or looking at different rules they they could make because it can get a little bit tricky to think beyond, I guess this should be plural and this should be camel case and into really kind of zany stuff like um, uh, you need to have like a slash health endpoint and it should follow um, this kind of RFC for for how to provide a health endpoint. Or um, we noticed that in your example of an error, um oh, sorry, we noticed that you had this like 200 response that had the word error in it, is that maybe an error on a 200 code? Do you want to look into fixing that? (laughs) And so you can, you can really do some quite advanced stuff. Um, And it does involve a lot of JSON path hackery, but you can see some of those examples to get started.
0: No, that's, that's super cool. I mean, that that that's useful, especially that whole 200 okay with an error. I think that's pretty much a bane of everyone's existence at this point outside of trying not to get sick. Um, one other thing I want to talk about real fast uh, open API wise is now that Postman, uh, the HTTP testing tool is now a part of the open API initiative as well. And yeah, um, One cool thing I, I saw Ken, uh, who you might know as API evangelist on Twitter or at Ken Lane. He, he runs both accounts. He's doing a um, I think it's like a, a an open office hours I think every friday morning at 8 a.m um pacific time so i think that's utc minus five or six currently or no minus four five six seven minus seven right now Uh, but if you have questions about open api things like that check it out he's tweeting it he'll tweet out about it every so often um i plan on joining this friday just to check it out see how it goes um but you know like the more education that's out there the more people are going to adopt open api so we're adopting the tools um whether it's stopman or postman stoplight sorry or postman things like that um which makes everyone's lives a little bit easier so i just wanted to throw that out there um yeah yeah he's doing it every I'm, friday i think so
2: cool yeah i'm really excited about it uh i'm, I'm excited that postman are getting more into more into open api stuff because the more tools around like the better it is for everyone really. Like having choice for your open API editor, it would be ideal. Um, It's been quite stressful with, you know, everybody wants every single feature and and usually different tooling vendors focus on kind of different parts or, you know, they prioritize A versus B and and you get different, different functionality, but Stoplight's pretty much the only one doing this so far. And so everyone's been, had a lot of demands and it's quite hard to do everything that everyone wants. So the more alternatives there are, the better for everyone. Um, I'm also really excited that they're kind of interested in maybe using Spectral and so like working together with them on this um, to try and make Spectral become like the thing um, so we can all share our rule sets around because the last thing that anyone wants is to try and kind of split up, you know, uh everyone recreate rule sets for different tooling vendors right it'd be much better if we could all just work together so i think a lot of people might think that folks like Kin and myself uh are, are like bitter rivals but we're mates and we, we've hung out and had loads of beers and we love chatting about stuff like this so i am really excited for the chance for us all to to work together a whole bunch more and and like better the api community instead of you know fighting or anything yeah i don't
0: think we're all fights That's- <laughs> um so Mike, real fast, like, I know you're kind of more in a front end world, like, is there any kind of cool API kind of related stuff coming out from, uh, like, the React or the Vue communities, like, anything GraphQL related that might be noteworthy?
1: Yeah, so, um, a, a few things worth mentioning, I guess. Um, I, I attended a virtual talk from um, a meetup uh, earlier this week, I think it was Monday or Tuesday night. Um, the meetup is called React Adelphia. Uh, it's it's Philadelphia's React-centric sort of meetup group um, run by a phenomenal and hilarious cast of characters. Uh, even if you're not interested in React, they are um, a, a group of troubadours worth watching. Um, but um, yeah, there was a talk during that session on how to consume JSON schema within React. Uh, and so there's some interesting support coming out for JSON schema in, in React-based projects, uh, which basically means that um, there's... I'll call it um, second-party support for being able to consume JSON schema descriptor- description and then spit out React components in a way that React developers are familiar with. Uh, so even if they don't really understand what the schema is, they can understand, that, like, hey, when when we need a date-based input, this thing is going to render and, and do all that stuff. Um, that's really cool to see. Uh, there's also a very interesting product that some friends of mine work on uh, at a company called TakeShape, um, where they're building a... Uh, A product called Mesh, which takes um, basically, it becomes a provider for Gatsby sites. So it's it's a aggregator of APIs that gives a Gatsby friendly, read only um, uh, GraphQL endpoint for any number of uh, APIs that you consume. So. If on your Gatsby site, you have some need to consume a dozen APIs or even just a, a handful of things, um, they can do that for you without you having to figure out how to wrangle all this stuff into something that's static site generator friendly. Uh, of course, that doesn't shut off your ability to just consume the end po- endpoint dynamically if you need that as well. But uh, in the sake of being efficient and creating SEO friendly stuff, it's it's really nice and easy to use. Um, beyond that, I, I nothing really comes to, to the front of mind, but I will say that it does seem like uh, from from my own observation of the community, there's a lot more um, React developers who are starting to talk about, like, uh, thinking about API side of things. And, and there seems to be a general frustration with one of the downfalls of React uh, is that you tend to create, like, a state that lives only in your front-end application that really probably should just be the state of the database. Uh, and it seems like some some sort of a revolution is coming where that is going to go away. And so if you've heard things like Redux and um, Saga and things like that, those are going away. And there's a really great library called React Query uh, from a guy named Tanner Lindsley, I think is his last name, um, his hashtag that he that he runs around with his tan stack. Uh, he's made a really, really cool tool that actually does all of the, the, smart things that you should do for contacting and using an API. So it does um, HTTP caching, it does front-end caching, it will go and query APIs um, in a way where if you're doing like paginated queries, it'll go look up the next page before you need it so that the response seems super um, uh, real-time. And he is a brilliantly smart guy and is writing software at a rate that I can't possibly comprehend for one person. Uh,
2: His tooling is really awesome. So those are all things worth checking out for sure. That sounds great. Make sure we get a link in the show notes to that because I want to play around with that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It.
1: it looks
0: really awesome.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of people kind of say, you know, doing certain things with APIs is, is hard. So let's dumb down the APIs. whereas really just kind of adding some some intelligent clients is kind of a, a better way to handle things. Like a lot of this pagination and and HTTP caching. There's already middlewares out there that people just don't necessarily and don't necessarily use. Um, and because they're making, they're focusing so closely on the HTTP level, it's like make this request and, and get this response. And they're they're looking at the actual JSON and doing this actual stuff. But if you put some kind of middleware logic in there, you can make a really nice experience where the user isn't forced to do so much of that kind of wire JSON messing around, and and still have great functionality. So that sounds really useful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, that, the developer behind that is one of the few people that I contribute to directly on GitHub because everything that he touches turns to gold. Like he's, he's a really smart guy. He's also starting to do, um, as I understand it, um, corporate consulting. So if you want to have him come teach you how to do, uh, performant react query work, he will, uh, come and do that. So yeah, definitely, uh, we'll include some of that in the show notes too.
0: And you, meant, you mentioned something cool there too, about like joining, um, was it react? the Philadelphia
1: <laughs> react to Delphia
0: yeah um, like a few weeks ago Phil was talking about API design um, at PHP South Wales and I was able to join it from the comfort of my apartment in Asheville which on a nor like well in a not COVID-19 travel limited world I would never be able to just zoom in the, P- the South Wales area and watch Phil talk about something that I'm interested in Um, So it's been really cool to see that kind of thing. The darker side of this is obviously like mental health has been struggling for a lot of people. So while this is a bigger conversation and we have time for, you know, just wanted to tell people like if you're struggling, if you're not feeling like yourself, it's okay to tell people, it's okay to talk about it. And I highly encourage you to find a therapist. I found one and I've only done two sessions and honestly, it feels, it feels like it's going to sound great. like if you ever had like a blister on the bottom of your foot, like after walking at like some, like a national park or something and like you pop in and just feel, like, it feels so good. Like that's, that's what it's felt like for me. Um, and I know like there's been a few more prominent people talking about this, struggling about this, trying to put words to feelings and things like that. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but if you're clever enough, you can find them on Twitter. Um, but just know that it's okay. And we're all struggling. Um, Obviously, it's a bigger conversation than that, but I just wanted to throw that out there. as like a thing for in case someone's like, I should go talk to somebody. This can be the the guiding light to getting you onto that path.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think there's um, a lot of stigma traditionally that's come behind, like trying to look for help for yourself, right? Like mental health has uh, typically tended to have a bit of a... Um, a Negative context that comes along with it, and um, I think that you know whoever you are, there's there's some way to be taking care of yourself. And for a lot of people right now, that may just be taking a day or two or five of vacation. And like even if you're stuck at your house, just don't look at work, don't open your email, don't you know get on Twitter or whatever whatever uh, impacts you negatively. Um, and doom scrolling. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's so easy to do. I mean, uh, I'm not you know, looking for help. Is a good thing
0: like just not scrolling at night yeah That's Such a such a way to like just take weight off your shoulders because like you keep scrolling and it's like oh phil's biking amsterdam well i wish i was biking in amsterdam and then yeah. like, you see the next thing and you're like oh they're doing something incredible right now too and i'm like well i'm just laying a bit and, you
2: know right yeah If you see something good, you feel jealous. If you see something bad, you feel angry. There's not much positivity coming out of that. I mean, obviously, it would be nice if I could look at my friend doing something great and be like, I'm really happy that my friend's doing something great, but it's really hard to not tack on, and I wish I was, you know, it's just, it doesn't, it's not always how the brain works, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely, even if you don't identify with kind of uh ha- having any sort of mental uh disorder or, or or situation happening i think even just kind of everyone can have these smaller temporary things where their brain isn't quite doing what it should be uh, just things like burnout for example for me r- regularly mess me up um so i've never been diagnosed as anything but i, I feel like Incredibly depressed not necessarily depressed but just really really like sad and shitty when uh, when I was at WeWork, Like I complained about this a lot but for, for like a year and a half or, or for like the, the last six months specifically I was just like angry and bitter and just really frustrated and really stressed and just like lashing out at random people on Twitter and just Shouting at people for no reason and just being miserable um, and finding someone to talk to about that really helped me out um, and I think I used one of those online apps Uh And and there shouldn't be any stigma about seeking help. You know, Um, if you have really good friends that you can talk to, then maybe maybe that can do it. But a lot of us, unfortunately, have friends that, you know, aren't experts, obviously, but also are kind of dick sometimes when you talk about that stuff. They they will give you um, some some friends can give you shitty feedback if you try and talk about like. I feel sad i would be like soldier on and all that kind of chin up nonsense so yeah. if your friends aren't very supportive or understanding of those sort of situations then finding someone who is an expert and isn't like that is the best thing to do and yeah. it's
0: also just like kind of like weird to, for people to like receive this kind of information because no one really knows what to do with it it's if i if i tell someone I'm depressed, they're going to kind of be like well okay i don't really know what to do there but you know, so like we have to normalize all that kind of stuff, but it's yeah. just like Bill's you know, efforts with, um, going carbon neutral is not going to be an overnight thing. This is not going to be an overnight thing too, but it's good to get the conversation started.
1: Yeah. I, I think there's, um, a feeling that often, you know, what's best for yourself. And a lot of the times you may, right? Like you'll, you'll probably know what makes you feel your, feel better uh, for yourself better than say your friend, your girlfriend, your significant other may. Um, but oftentimes when you're really in the depths of things and even when you're not, when you don't realize it is, is when you need help from someone who's professional um, and, and there are people who are trained in this uh, who are way better at it than, uh, than, than you might realize. It's definitely worth um, worth looking into and worth giving a shot. And, and also I'll say, uh, giving it a shot more than once. Uh, a lot of, a lot of getting good help is finding, um, someone to talk to who works for you. So, you know, if, if you have a couple of meetings with someone and you decide they're not right for you, it's, it's definitely like a go seek a second opinion as a normal course of action. Um, you got to find someone who's, who's able to help you. And, and, um, it's, it's a completely normal behavior and and definitely a good thing to do.
0: Definitely. And I think people are going to appreciate us even just starting to talk this up, but, um, Mike, I know you got a meeting to go to. Zoom's yelling at me, so I think we're gonna wrap this one up. I think uh, it was great talking to you guys. Phil, try not to die in between now and the next one. Be
2: great. I can't make any promises. My fixie doesn't have a saddle on it right now, and I've been cycling it flip flops, so something's gonna go wrong at some point. Had a boy. There you go. <laughs> Real fast.
0: If you want to get in on the Phil Death Pool, just send me a tweet, and I'll send you the spreadsheet. Thanks, guys. <laughs>
1: All right, take it easy, guys.